doing okay? Okay. Um, so here, I, I felt like I have to, at this point, give a little bit of a recap of what happened last weekend, because there's enough people that know I was out of town, and I did a boxing tournament. Okay, and I was like, I wasn't really expecting that to be like a big public thing, but it's, it is something you all know about my life now. Um, so I'm going to let the, just, just real quick, because I feel like it'd almost be weird for me not to say anything at all, and everyone's wondering, because a lot of you have asked me. So um, I did not win the tournament, <laughs> uh, but in my weight range. Um, but here, let me, let me say this. Um, it's been interesting to see the journey that God has brought me. It was all a, a health and fitness kind of goal at first, and then I wanted to challenge myself, so I joined a tournament for 40 and up. Let me, let me make this real uh, clear what this is. Amateur 40 and up boxing. Uh, my first opponent in the bracket did not show up because um, he was afraid, is what I'm assuming. <laughs> he found out I was a pastor, and he's like, nah, I'm out. Uh, and then um, I went, the, the winner of the other bracket, we went together the next day. So I got a bye, essentially, and then um, I did lose. But I'm going to say um, there's, there's uh, um, some really cool, uh, uh, um, you know, goals or wins in the midst of that. And, and on top of this, I know this is a, a discussion for later if you ever cared enough to know, but there's just been some really cool things that God has been revealing to me through this journey, um, as God does through all of our life kind of experiences, um, and some things that he's been speaking to me about the nature of battle and conflict and um, these kinds of things, and, uh, and even the, the idea of the sport of boxing. So thank you all for letting me get away, go and do those things. Um, it was a blast. I will definitely fight again. I will return to fight again, all right? <laughs> Uh, and hopefully I'll have a belt. I'll come in with a belt and I'll do the whole Rocky thing for you all. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, what's up? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He looked worse than I did. I'll say that. Walking, walking away for real. I came out unscathed. I lost. He got points, but he looked worse. Um, Okay, so let me, let me set up what's happening today because it's a little bit different. You all know, if you, if you know me, you know that I'm a teacher at heart uh, and I love scope and sequence. I like plan things out. I'm working on sermons for summer. Like I'm, I'm prepping for an Ephesians series now that has not even started yet in the summer and have already dialed all these things in. I, I have about 75 to 80% of this week's sermon done and I felt on Friday like God was saying, this is not at all what I want you to speak on this Sunday, okay? Um, and I really d- uh, then kind of went into the, the secondary mode that will tend to happen in that situation, which is, okay, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do? And then Carter doing his job, because he d- gets all the slides ready. He's like, hey, man, give me the verses. I'm like, I got nothing for you. <laughs> He's working the next day. He's like, hey, you, you sure? You got, I can help you out. Get some verses up in there. Get, you know, it's like, you're tempting me. Stop, get behind me, <laughs> right, in the midst of that. Um, so, so this is what, what we have. I don't have a sermon for today. I have some thoughts and I have a plan for what I think God wants us to do. And I'm going to tell you why I believe God was, um, was maybe unprompting this for this day. So if you're new, this is not our normal thing. It's usually very straightforward, clean cut. Um, uh, but that's not what the Holy Spirit always wants from us. Amen? So um, over the last few weeks, I went to the elders probably like two months ago, maybe a month and a half. And I just felt this sense spiritually like there were... Um, and not, not people, this is not a, like a person attack or anything like that, but that there were spiritually, there were wolves surrounding me and us as a church. It wasn't just me, but I had this image in my head that I was walking through a forest and I could just see in the, in the, the trees um, this image in my mind again and I, and I chose to, to take it as um, some kind of illustration um, uh, 
spiritually, that maybe there was some spiritual warfare that was taking place. In the midst of that, multiple people who I have um, engaged with with spiritual warfare and done deliverance ministry with, um, all of a sudden emerged back into my life after not hearing from them for, uh, in some cases, a year, but all within one week. Um, some, some people that I have ministered to here contacted me um, about uh, spiritual warfare. Uh, I've had lots of, con- I am uniquely positioned to know a lot of what's going on in your lives that you don't know about these people and these people don't know about these people. Um, but as I sat back, and, and you all know I'm a challenger. I tend to write sermons that, that call us to a challenge um, in the midst of it. And that's what I wrote. And we'll, we'll probably get to that next week. I'll probably preach that one next week. But as I know you all, there has been a unique amount of death in families in our congregation. I felt this sense of wolves closing in on us. There have been relationship tears, numerous relationship tears, um, not just you know, internal, but with you and extended family, um, career and professional challenges taking place. And we're in this series called All Love where we're literally trying to help us understand that in order to move forward, there's gonna be some level of conflict that we have to walk together. If we are going to reconcile between a ra- in, in a racialized culture like America, if we're gonna be um, proponents of justice and, and reconciliation, that ministry takes grit. You all probably know that by now or else you wouldn't be here. This, this kind of ministry takes grit and it takes a lot of dying to self on sometimes and it takes a lot of pushing when you want to give up or back out um, and in many cases, there, many people can't back up or get out, right? And so there's this kind of call to all love that if we can establish, look, it's all love, we can have these conversations, I can jab at you a little bit, you can jab at me and we're not, we're refusing to separate because that's what it takes to be involved in this but it's conflict, it's a bit of conflict. And so as a church, like even if conflict is productive, it's still conflict. We can weather intense spiritual battles, attacks from the enemy, lies from the enemy, enduring natural hardships, right? I just kind of made this list that we, we live in this fallen world. There's trials of faith. We're navigating losses. We're navigating traumas. We're pushing against the constant barrage of the world's formation system in order to be a counterformation in the likeness of Jesus Christ in its midst. And we're working towards kingdom endeavors, that require tenacity and resilience. Okay, so here's, here's my concern. In the midst of writing this, uh, it, it's like, it's, it's, be- it's beautiful and eloquent. Wait till y'all hear it next week. It's, it's gonna hit hard. I'm joking about this, by the way. Uh, here's my concern. We get so focused on these things that we forget just to stop and internalize the simple truth that God loves you. I am so oriented towards conflict. And some, sometimes if I don't have a battle in front of me, I don't know what to do. Hence, I jump into the sport, right? Um, that's me. That's like, you know, in some ways it's vulnerable, I guess. In some ways it's, it's not. But if you, you know me, like one of the ways I survived my own bouts of depression was by convincing myself, I've told you all this before, convincing myself, my teachers, they were good people, but I had to internally drive myself to say they're trying to stop me from graduating high school. And now I had an enemy to fight against. That's how I battled against just giving up on school. That's how I battled against depression in high school. I had to create an enemy for myself to fight because I'm so driven by that. And you see it comes out. It's like I'm more prophetic than I am shepherding, usually. Usually not at the coffee table or when we're grabbing lunches. But, but up here from this platform, that tends to be my posture. Man, and I just felt like God was saying that's not what they need today. They're walking through difficulties 
they need someone to walk with them in this moment. And so um, there's a few things, I guess I, I wanna point to a story in Genesis. And then I wanna ask us, give you a chance to respond to that and to receive prayer for that today. Um, and maybe we'll go shorter than normal. Who knows, no promises. I need you to hear those though. There's a verse that I felt really, really strongly God wanted me to say. Um, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. All right, feel it. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Just sit with it for a bit. I need you to remember that. This is, this is, this is the good shepherd who, he, he has the rod of discipline at times, but often that rod just pulls us off of the cliffs we're about to jump off of. This is a God who loves you extravagantly, passionately, protectively. I needed to hear that when I felt those wolves, like, God, you're protecting me. You're not anywhere other than right here with me. Sacrificially, like we've talked about, he is chasing after you, and the image I'm trying to call to mind is the prodigal son. He ran. He gets undignified and meets you at the gate. He doesn't even wait for you to get all the way down the road. His arms are wrapping around you. This is an it's okay to fail kind of love. Collapse into me when you can't go any further. He's in love with you. This is a God who loves you. If that's all that gets communicated today, then that's all that needed to be said. That was the one thing I felt like God needed me to get out. And I want you to center the reality of that love. Let it wash over you. Believe it, even when you don't want to. Internalize, ingest it. I'm gonna read to you from Genesis 16. Um, This is a story I think for a while that was not typically popular to share um, and then became real popular to share because um, it, it kind of, the, the story of Hagar became a, a centered, but we've never taught on it here. It's been in conversations um, and we've never taught on it. And I want to read this to you. It says in Genesis 16, remember the story we're talking about Abram, Sarah, before they become Abram, um, Abraham. And they've got a promise And they're trying to figure out what to do with that promise because it doesn't seem to be being fulfilled. It says in Genesis 16, now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarah said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think is best. Then Sarah mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. Um, So there's a lot there's so many directions we could go in that. 
there's so many things that, could, that need to be explained, and I don't have time. That's not, that's not really what I'm here to do this morning, um, and we can have that conversation, but that's just not what today is about. There are so many wrongdoings on behalf of God's people inside of what we just read. That I, and I don't want to try to justify it, but, there, but there's some things in, in this culture, this context, that we have a hard time connecting with, right? And so you see Sarah initially direct her anger at Abram, then acquiesces to the situation, permitting Sarah to deal harshly. You see, sorry, Abram then acquiesces to Sarah's wrath, and, and, and she, she treats Hagar harshly. Now, if, if you're catching Hagar, it's kind of like a, an innocent bystander in the midst of this. We see evidence of her struggling with pride at some times, but in this situation, she's the innocent bystander. She is involved in circumstances that she did not agree to in the first place. One of the commentators that I was reading said this, she'd been mistreated by her mistress. She'd not wanted to do what, she was, what was asked of her, but as a slave with no rights or opinions, she had no choice. Out of desperation, she finally fled because she couldn't take the abuse and pain anymore. But she quickly found herself alone and defenseless without shelter or sustenance and, and pregnant no less. So to say she felt scared, to say she felt lonely, to say she felt unloved is an understatement. She wondered in her despair if anyone cared about her or what was happening in her or her un, uh, happening to her or her unborn baby. Certainly Abram didn't care. Certainly Sarah didn't care. She's in the middle of running out into the desert. Some people speculate that she's running back to Egypt because that was her homeland. And you see any form of sexual ethic that's being embraced here is not built to protect Hagar. Right? It is merely revolving around procreation. That's not enough, and, and we want to recognize that's, that's not good. It, it hasn't been built to protect her. Any favor she might have had as somebody in the circumstances of an enslaved person of obedience that she has just displayed to the person who, is, who has enslaved her has given her no favor. She did what she was asked to do. No favor, only bitterness. Any ethics surrounding the Imago Dei that would recognize Hagar's image-bearing nature is being completely ignored. And so here's my question. Have you ever felt like Hagar? Uh, It's a somewhat extreme position, but, but I want you to stop and just think about in your life, have you been in the place of wondering, does anyone care about anything that's happening to me? Have you ever been in a dark place where you, you just felt like there was no hope moving forward, that you had no sense of, of anyone understanding or being able to relate to what you're going through? Have you ever shaken your fist at God and wondered from him, like, do you even care? I had a professor once that admitted to me in his darkest times, he would just go out into the desert and yell at God. And then he said, and that's Okay. You call to mind, as humorous as it is, the moment of Lieutenant Dan out in that storm, right? If you've seen the, the, the movie Forrest Gump where he has to make amends with God, but before he can do that, he has to be honest with God. 
God, do you, do you care? Do you see what I'm going through? Do you see how bad this situation is? And I want to direct your attention. How does Yahweh respond to this? It says in verse 7, the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? I like that because it's a statement of care. The first time we actually ever see the phrase, the angel of the Lord, is right here. And it appears not to Abram, not even to an Israelite, not to a male, but a woman Egyptian person who has been enslaved. This is the first time the angel of the Lord comes to someone. And she says this, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah, she answered. And the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her, all right? The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. Now, if you catch, is that first part's like, ah, that seems harsh. Why would God do that? But listen to that next one. Let the weight of that next phrase uh, uh, settle in. I will increase your descendants so, that, so much that they will be too numerous to count. Hagar is told by the angel of the Lord to return, but what he does is gives her a blessing similar to the blessing of Abraham and Sarah. He gives her this sense of like, hey, you're going to be on par with this other person that you have uh, uh, been up to this point submitted to, and now I'm giving you the ability to be a nation yourself. The passage features language similar to the blessing and the promise given to Abraham, and that's intentional because God is saying in some sense there's an equal uh, uh, footing that she is now being given. It says in verse 11, the angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son and you shall name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard of your misery. I don't get this next part. I don't have time to totally unpack it, but it says this, he will be a wild donkey of a man. I don't even know what that means. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him and he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. Maybe it's just the nature of this person's temperament. After Sarah makes life difficult for Hagar, the pregnant Hagar leaves camp, heads back towards, we think, towards Egypt, and on the way, an angel appears to her and convinces her to return to Sarah because Sarah's going to have to live with the fact that this blessing is being shared now with the woman Hagar. In verse 13, it says, she gave his name, listen to this, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Bir Laha Roy. It is still there between Kadashan Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. This is one of the first times that a, a, a human is allowed to give a name to God, and the name is Elroy, the God who sees. And what I want you to notice here is that this isn't an isolated incident. In fact, you see almost a formula take place in Jesus' life because multiple times you see this phrase, especially in Matthew and Luke, 
with the widow at Nain, it says Jesus sees her, has compassion on her, and acts on her behalf. He sees the woman at the well, he sees her, he has compassion on the situation, and acts on her behalf. You see, the crowds were hungry. Jesus sees them, has compassion on them, and begins. He also says, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, and he acts on their behalf. Jesus looks, he sees, he notices, he pays attention, and he loves them in doing so. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom Jesus loved being John standing nearby, he sees And he turns her over into his care so that she would not be unprotected. It's in his life, it's in his parables. You see the Samaritan uh, 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 parable or the Samaritan story where where multiple, and it says this, multiple priests and, and Jewish leaders saw but did nothing. And then the Samaritan, the one that they didn't expect, saw and did something. We see it in the prodigal son as the man sees not just the person who left and came back as the prodigal, but also the son who stayed and lived in self-righteousness. Both were brought to the table of communion and celebration. Um, Yesterday, the discipleship group, um, we usually, we have kind of a thing that we tend to do, which is an immersion experience um, in partnership with outreach, and it just didn't work out with the schedules, and so um, we went back to to maybe one of the original things that we used to do um, for discipleship and through Rooted, which was go and give um, care kits to people who were on the side of the road asking for money. And so this group of people gets out of their comfort zone. We, we commission, we build the kits, we kind of ask the question, what are the things most needed? We get socks together, we get these things together, a, a little bit of, of a blessing in the midst of your day, and then we commissioned everyone out. And it was beautiful to see people here from Common Ground grabbing, uh, going and having conversations with people who are asking for money on the side of the road, asking to, to get to know their story, to bless them, but also to be blessed in the midst of it because there's a reciprocal relationship when you come into contact with someone like that. And one of the things we kept thinking is, man, people must be real lonely because they were very willing to talk. And, and to hand someone, and it's not bad, you might feel called to hand someone money out the window, but it's different when you get out because you saw them and you minister to them and you talk to them, and you pray with them, and learn the story, and realize maybe you could be in the same situation as them if you had had the same cards dealt to you. It's humbling. And yesterday, at the end, we debriefed together, and I asked this question, what was different this day that made you see them? And I wasn't really thinking of this sermon when it happened, but then somebody in the room said this, well, that's just it, the difference was we saw them. I want you uh, to know that usually this is where I look at you all and say a deep challenge. I need you to be commissioned and see people. I need you to go out and look for those who are unseen. I need you to be prompted, to be uh, empowered and, um, and lit on fire to take this out the streets and go out and see people. But this is not that day. Today, what I want you to hear from me is that wherever you're at, whatever circumstance you're in, God sees you. That's it today. 
God sees you. And whatever situation you find yourself in, God loves you. I came in and interceded this week just because of that sense of spiritual warfare, but then I was like thinking, uh, we need to be interceding for each other as a community and praying on behalf of each other. Again, I, I have this situation where I get to know a lot of what's going on in your lives and I'm praying for you. Uh, and I wanna give you an opportunity to respond here in a little bit, but this is it. Like God sees you and in seeing you, he knows your trial. He knows your effort and how hard you're working in it. He knows the attacks that are coming your way. He knows the self-doubt that you're walking through. He knows all of the challenges and the struggle and the hurt and the diagnosis. Whatever that might have been this week or in the last month or in the last year, he knows you're trying and and I want you to know that he is in it with you. He sees you. He sees you because he is El Roy, the God who sees and watches over his people, the God who saw Hagar, the God who saw the woman at the well, the God who sees all of the people that God, that Jesus encountered and healed and delivered and helped out in the midst of their circumstance. God loves you, not a future version of you, not the mature version of you 10 years down the line once you've got your life all cleaned up. Here's, here's like, maybe it's news, maybe it's not. You're not gonna be cleaned up in 10 years. You're still going to need a savior. Not the version of you that's on your good day, not just on your best day, not the version of you that is something you wish to present to God once you're ready and cleaned up and able to approach him. None of us are able to approach him. None of us stand tall in this light, but as you are now, who you are now, where you are now, God loves you, he sees you, and there is No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Um, So this is is how we'll end today. Uh, Man, and so this is one of those interesting things that we've noticed in our congregation as a pastoral staff. Um, there There are congregations wherein you do an altar call and people come forward. And then there is Common Ground Northeast. (laughs) We don't like people knowing that we're struggling. We don't like to admit those things. I'm actually not even going to do an altar call this morning, but what I do want to do is to allow people to be prayed over by each other. And so for about 10 minutes, I'll have the band come up and they can lay down some sweet scents and make us, uh, you know, feel that vibe, that mood, um, and let God use that. But I'm going to name some things. You don't have to even tell us what it is you're struggling with, what battle you're walking through, what issue you might have encountered this week. You might even be in a good place, and so praise God for that. But what I'm going to do is ask some of us, if you would like prayer for whatever it is you're going through, to stand up and allow the people around you to come around you and pray over you. You can be, it can be, we can go old school, unspoken. Y'all remember when unspoken prayers were like a thing? I can be a thing today. But it is helpful sometimes. And I have a handful of things that I felt like God was wanting me to name out loud. And then after that, I'm just gonna um, leave it open. So go ahead and, um, Ben, if you don't mind, I know I made jokes about you. I love you all. I want you all to come up here. And the sense. I want all the sense. I'm gonna call out some, some struggles and some battles. Would you um, just allow your eyes to be closed? Maybe it's not you, maybe it's someone you know. In a few minutes, what I'm just gonna say is if you would like prayer for any of these things or something else I didn't name, 
I'm just gonna ask you to stand up. And we can take, some, we can flow with that. We have about 10 minutes before we normally close up um, our, our Sunday's gathering. And, um, and maybe once you get prayed for, you can go pray for someone else, but, but um, just close your eyes with me. Jesus, we um, come before you. Uh, maybe, maybe it's repentance. Maybe it's just knowing we're at the end of our means and we're seeking help. God, maybe it was just today needed a reminder that we are seen and loved by you. And, and certainly, God, then we want to see and love others. But today, just let that settle in our hearts. And so, God, this morning I have seen there has been an extraordinary amount of death in close proximity to people in our congregation. And so I speak against death. You hate death. You died to kill it. So we have a hope that one day we will be with those who we've lost. Father, those who are undergoing spiritual battles, those who have had proximity to death recently, those who are maybe in a season where they've lost something, they just feel like Job right now. God, those who have realized that they thought they could handle their situation and circumstance, but now, now have come to understand that they can't. They're at the end of that. So they only have you. That's ultimately a good place to be. Father, I want to lift up those here who are without hope. Father, I want to lift up those today who are buckling under the weight of guilt, who feel the cloud of depression creeping in, who feel like anxiety is taking over their thoughts and minds. God, I pray for those who have ran away from an abusive situation at some point in their life. Father, I feel that there are some who have been away from you and want to come home and the enemy is trying to stop that. It could be schedules. It could be a sense of guilt or not worthy to come back. But God, would you remove those barriers and let them come home? Father, there are those here who think that their sin is... Uh, is causing them not to be able to come close to you, but you died to get rid of that. And so we pray for faith to believe that it's all been washed away. It's white as snow. It was red, but now it's white as snow. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let them know that right now. Father, there are those who want healing. There are those possibly in this room that need deliverance from some sort of demonic oppression. And, and God, I want to pray that you would heal and deliver, God. And as we sing, it's the same God who did all of those things. It's the same God who saw Hagar. It's the same God who ministered on the streets as Jesus of Nazareth. It's the same God who is present within us today, the body of believers right now, God. For those things that are struggles that I haven't named, God, 
Would you just allow them to feel the comfort of a good shepherd? Amen. So, so right now what I want to do is if you um, are willing to be prayed over right now and you just like to stand up wherever you're at, we're going to spend a few minutes, um, allow people to come around you and to minister to you. I just want to give you that opportunity. If it's, if it's not you, it's me. I'm telling you. We all get there. Can I have those who are just standing up? Can we have those come around? And this is just, this is just the first. Maybe God's just, you're not there yet. But if you could, just put your, if they're okay with it, put your hand on their shoulder or reach out to them. And if you would, would you just pray over them right now? Feel free to pray out loud. I'm going to leave some space for that opportunity and just allow God's people to minister to you. Let the saints of God minister to you right now.